What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, mfceo.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by FMF and the Fast House. I want to thank uh, Fast House for sending me a care package this week. Those guys sent me over a pair of pants, uh, a coffee mug, as well as uh, a sticker pack. So got, you, you got to love stickers. But uh, with me on the line, a very special guest from a great company uh, goes by the name of Charles Castellou over at 100%. Charles, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you for coming on. Thank you for committing poddultery, as, uh, of course, we've seen you and heard you on uh, the Pulp of Next show in the past, but uh, I, I listened to that show as well, and uh, I, I hear this guy talking about goggles. I hear him talking about motocross, and I think I need to get that guy on my show. I need to talk some motocross with this guy, and I really appreciate you making some time. Yeah, no problem. I'm, uh, I'm you know, a racer at heart and a total enthusiast of the sport, so... I don't have any kind of exclusive exclusive agreement with Mathis, so uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm just stoked to talk talk about dirt bike racing with anyone. Absolutely, and uh, I'm yeah. I don't think anyone has a uh, anything written in stone. <laughs> maybe maybe Kiefer, but that's about it. But uh, um, yeah, I'm excited to have you on, my friend. And not only because of your knowledge of uh, the the goggles we're about to talk about, but also just uh, your your skill on two wheels has taken you quite far with this. Uh, I feel like uh, you're a guy who's uh, grew up like many of us, um, wanting to to get to the the top step of the podium at a Supercross, and and came a whole lot closer than I ever did. But uh, maybe if you, before we get into the 100 percent side of things, we can kind of give a little bit of a, a background story of yourself. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was born and raised in Texas, and um, grew up racing and, and worked my way up through the ranks. And I didn't have a great amateur career. I really didn't start kind of getting decent, I would say, until I got on big bikes once I could drive and um, could get myself to the track to practice and stuff. So um, I mean, I had some decent results at some of the bigger amateur nationals, but never did anything at Loretta's really. And um, But then when I turned pro, I think I kind of found another gear and then, you know, made my way into some quite a few motos outdoors and never got any points um but some outdoor motos and then a bunch of night shows for supercross and um you know i got the um, gas card award twice and and 250 supercross for being the first guy to miss the main event um and which you know at the time actually my very first supercross anaheim one oh seven um i somehow worked my way into fourth or fifth and whatever they took four out of the lcq and i missed it by one and at that time you'd go up on the podium and they gave you like a big check and you did an interview and like i was totally stoked to get missed the main by one spot because i had no idea what to expect um and then two weeks later at anaheim two i was in top in qualifying spot and i got passed on the last lap and got fifth again and just in two weeks my expectations and like my whole demeanor on missing the main by one spot went from ecstatic this is awesome i'm talking on the podium to you just thought someone killed my dog i was so pissed off that you know, i missed the main by by one spot so <laughs> yeah uh, but you know throughout the process you know i i mean it's probably not the best for my career and results but i, I kind of knew deep down that kind of where I, I fit in and 
that I wouldn't be able to you know, retire off racing dirt bikes. So um, I, I kind of was smart enough to position myself, you know, and align myself with people along the way that with the end goal of opening a door to work in the industry because, you know, it's a sport that I love and um, it's all I've ever done and all I've ever known. So, um, yeah, I set some pretty specific uh, time frames for myself with goals. And, you know, when I got to that point, um, a few years in uh, to racing supercross and outdoors, you know, I wasn't where I needed to be at or where I wanted to be to you know, continue chasing that. So, and I knew that I had done all I could do. Um, I never you know, left any stone unturned. I always built myself the best bikes I could build and always worked really hard off the bike. So, um, you know, when, once I kind of hit that first milestone and took a hard look at where I was and what I'd accomplished, it was, you know, time to move on without any, any regrets. And luckily I, I, transitioned right into um a position with Tuckeraki uh, only like maybe a month or two months after Steel City National in 2008 so it worked out all pretty well no doubt and uh that is pretty cool uh I gotta say uh, any anyone who uh, has the guts to go out there on a carbureted 250f and jump a supercross triple <laughs> has my uh my respect and and honestly the, there is a bit of a dichotomy uh, in what you just said is that there's a lot of guys who uh, never achieve their true, true potential or they never really get to where their kind of their talent really tops them out at if they're absolutely if they don't be completely hard-headed and just go for it and, and just absolutely like uh they commit to it for for and like a, like a guy like Adam Enticknap after the first two years racing supercross wasn't even making a lot of night shows and then now sure. is uh kind of like a uh on the in in the main event not in the main event like that that like although maybe not maybe where he wants to be is a huge step forward from not even being in the fast 40 but uh there's also um the side of things where uh, there's a, there's more than a few guys out there, and I'm sure you see them every weekend, where you're looking at these guys, you're like, oh, that guy's been doing this for four or five years. Like, how long are you going to chase the dream sort of thing? So how right. do you kind of unpack that? And uh, like, cause, like, I'm sure, like, like I said, there's more than a few guys you see on a regular basis. You're like, uh, like, if, like that guy either needs to step it up or he needs to go get a job. Yeah, and that was kind of from where I was sitting as a racer, that's what I, I could, I could see those guys. And I don't know why, you know, if it was just kind of my own outlook was different than other people's, but I could see those guys and I knew I didn't want to be one of those. And I mean, I'm like different side of things. I could have absolutely made, made money, made a decent amount of money racing locally. And, you know, the Texas scene and the South scene of, you know, there's local arena crosses in the winter that you can make good money at. And there's, you know, local pro races with, you know, pro purses and stuff that like I could have totally stayed around the house and done riding lessons and made a, a decent amount of money for five, 10, 15 years. Um, but my aspirations were always higher than that. It was like, I'm going to put everything I have into mm -hmm. the highest level and go for it there. And yeah, I, I didn't start, you know, I wasn't going to settle for making money. Like that wasn't the purpose of it. Right. It was to try to be the best I could be. And, on the best stage I could get to, which was supercross and motocross, fortunately. So, um, yeah, it's tough. And I think there's a lot of guys that don't have that ability to kind of neutrally look at it and go, did I a put everything I have into it to give myself the best chance to succeed and honestly answer that question and then say, okay, cool. This is kind of where I, I fit in and this is, this is it. So, 
um, you know, for me, it was, I, I knew that was going to be a difficult thing to do with myself. So it was like, Hey, if you get to this point, this many years in, and you don't have any big injuries, any big setbacks, and you're not doing why, you know, if you get to X and you're not doing Y, it's time to go. So, and once I got there, I, I could, I get, you know, honestly told myself like, yeah, there was no big setbacks, no major issues. So, um, you know, it was, it was time to, time to move on. Absolutely. And that you did, you move on, you go to Tucker Rocky, gain the experience, climb the rungs. And, uh, so where, where does uh, the story go from there as far as taking it from Tucker to your current position at hundred percent? Yeah. Um, so I was with Tucker for five and a half years. So they own, um, things have changed a bit there, but they owned answer MSR and pro taper. Okay. Um, so I, I worked within those three off-road brands out in California. Um, moved up to a couple, you know, promoted to a couple positions there. And ultimately it was pro taper marketing manager, uh, for a few years. And then I left, um, I actually went to one industries for a short stint there, um, to try and help them revive the brand. Um, and more importantly, they're more focused on tag metals and sunline, which are brands that they owned, um, try to help them kind of write the ship there. But, uh, <laughs> pretty quickly after arriving, I knew, uh, the ship had taken on too much water and I wasn't going to, wasn't going to help. wasn't going to matter. So, um, I was only there for like a year and a half, but even having said that as stressful as it was and as broken as it was, I should say, um, I wouldn't, I would do it again, to be honest with you. It was, it was, excuse my friends, a shit show, but, um, <laughs> I learned a lot, man. It was, it was yeah. a really good learning experience. Um, you know, dealing with private equity money and, um, kind of the, the stresses of you know cash flow and things like that that at Takaraki wasn't an issue because it was such a big machine and there were so much moving parts. Um we kind of slid under the radar out here you know with answer MSR and Pro Taper. But um yeah really good learning experience there. Um but then luckily I was able to move on from there um in two thousand fifteen to come to one hundred percent. So uh, which the brand is kind of resurfaced under the current ownership in 2012. So it had been around a, a few years at that point. Um, it was already on a really, really good growth um, trajectory. So it was easy, easy decision to make the move over there. Absolutely. And a historic brand, an iconic brand, some might say, uh, one that uh, you've seen that logo, whether it be in the uh, the current rendition or the uh, the, the, the original, um, countless times on chest protectors, number plates or back fenders. Um, it's something that, um, it's, it's it almost a bit of Americana with it. It reminds us of, uh, the Ricky Johnson's of the world, the, uh, the David Bailey's of the world, the, uh, the Bob Hanna's I, who I think is one of the first guys that ever ran it. Um, and, and then, uh, like, it's funny how, uh, like literally generations later, um, Kids, literally, kids are, are picking up this brand and, and loving it just the same. Why, why do you think that that is? Because uh, there's a huge disconnect there, I, I think. Yeah, there, there totally is. You know, it was super popular, like you said, in the 80s and 90s. And um, the, essentially, every top guy had a 100% logo on their helmet or chest protector or jersey. Um, and they just liked it and thought it was cool. And, and Drew Lane, the original founder, I think, had a good connection with all those top guys. And, um, so, but then fast forward to 2012 when it launched, um, as a goggle brand under 
Mark and Ludo, which were the original founders of One Industries, um, you know, it's kind of, I think their recipe for success and, and their knowledge of building brands and kind of their um, strategy with that and Mark's brilliant design skills connected with the younger crowd because um, it had this really edgy look and kind of transformed the goggle industry into a little more fashion oriented and a little more uh, like the gear industry almost where there's seasonal launches and always updating colors and kind of always on the forefront of what's cool and what's the next hot colorway or design. Um, so that attracted all the young kids. And then the, the older crowd that remembered the brand from the eighties or nineties was already drawn to it again because it was cool when they were younger. So um, it's kind of the perfect, perfect storm of synergy to um, connect on all levels and, and basically have the support of the youth and the vet riders all at the same time. For sure. Getting two birds stoned is uh, is something that uh, you guys have been unique with. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you're totally right. The fashion of the goggles uh, is second to none. In fact, I, I look back to a lot of the, the I, like, just as a comparison, I look back at a lot of the photos of, and, like, just thinking about some of the goggles that I've worn, like the uh, those Smith Warps from the early 2000s. Those were never mm-hmm. cool. Um, they look kind of neat but like only if uh uh chuck carruthers was wearing them but uh um (laughs) but uh no like yeah like any any set of gear out there and regardless of what brand that happens to be there's an 100 percent goggle for it um and or whatever you happen to do as far as helmet goes like i like to match my helmet and like i i wear the akiri uh i haven't got my hands on a pair of racecrafts yet but uh the origami color just went absolutely perfect not only with my red bull ktm but with the the color scheme on my helmet and that was just so cool to me like for if if, like as like as racers we always want to set ourselves apart whether it be riding style or fashion and i particularly don't do any fat whips or go all that fast to be honest uh so i like to set myself uh, apart by uh, looking better than anybody out there and uh yeah, if you can combine that with the the functionality of a goggle that just straight up performs, I think that's kind of a home run. Right. Yeah, I think the goggle category as a whole was, I don't want to say stale, because maybe that's not fair to the, the competitors that were in the space at the time, but I think there were, everyone was pretty comfortable. And it was, you know, you make a black and a red and a blue and kind of the basic colors and, mm-hmm. you know, you put them in the market and people buy them as needed. and They kind of just kept flowing along for years and years and years and um you come out with a new frame or you know new foam or whatever when there's some new technology that comes out or a new idea pops up but generally speaking the the graphics and the the designs and the um marketing and advertising and stuff was all pretty um everybody kind of just stayed status quo for years and years so right uh, mark and ludo saw that that opportunity and um kind of brought a new outlook to it and it's kind of forced everyone's hand to, to step up and um, kind of reinvent themselves into things a little differently. So so let, let's uh, kind of start from the, the bottom and we'll get to the top where the racecraft sits. And I guess like I, I personally kind of uh, lump the, the Strata and the Acuri slightly together because they're kind of stepping stones into each other as far as materials. Um, like 
obviously the 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 strata is your your kind of val like kind of a a value brand goggle or your your kind of a, mm-hmm. your base goggle um who's who's this is goggle intended for and what are some of the the main features of this goggle that would be most uh um uh kind of advantageous for someone getting into the brand right so the strata i mean it's it's perfect for any rider that you know like a weekend warrior that's just riding on the weekends and, and isn't you know super concerned with having the latest and greatest of everything and, and um, having them with high-end product but they see 100 percent on you know cooper webb or aaron Plessinger or marvin muskan and they think wow those are cool and um, they go to the local shop and they pick up a pair for you know, $25, $35 U.S. price um, and and have a good functioning goggle that has the 100% brand and, um, you know, looks very similar to the, the stuff that's you know, winning Supercrosses on Saturday night. But um, the differences aren't aren't that fast, to be honest with you. You you, you mentioned that you kind of lumped the Akuri in with the Strata and that's not too far off. You know, there's a, a decent price difference, um, but the the differences in the actual product aren't that big. You know, there's a, a two layer foam on the face of the strata where there's a, a three layer foam on the Akuri. So that's right. really just an extra layer of foam to, to, to help soak up sweat. Um, but for the, the, at the most elite level, that's something you can probably, those guys notice for sure. But the average consumer, you know, two or three layers, it's a far cry from the old school single layer foam that, that you're used to. So, yeah, um, and, and that's what and we use for other... years and years. Like uh, right. I look back yeah. at my old goggles, like that is just one foam. So you, you, this goggle is right. one uh, double ahead of it already. Yep, yep. And then you get some other, you know, additional value. Like with the Akuri, if you buy the mirror lens version, you get a, you know, the spare clear lens in the box with it. Which, you know, when you drop down to the Strata price point, we we can't add that extra value in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the strap on the Akuri is a little wider than the, the strata and that's you know helps with keeping it in place a little better on the helmet but more so it's just a bigger um canvas if you will for branding and design from our side of things for um, sure but in that- terms of the actual function of the strata goggle i mean it's it's i'd put it on up against any for sure anything at that price point and probably anything at the occurring price point to be honest with you Definitely, and the, and the frame is very similar uh, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, and of course, the 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 nicest thing about 100 uh, percent is that uh, it, whether you you're uh, you start with the Strata or end up uh, eventually getting a racecraft, that goggle lens is going to travel with you as long as you keep it nice and clean. Um, and yep. uh, so that that's kind of a cool thing is that you you have like basically that same functionality uh, and that that same kind of eye port that you're used to uh, with all three. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a huge, huge selling point with um, distributors and dealers, actually. And um, that kind of trickles down to consumers because consumers don't want to have to think about it, right? They they want to go to the store and or go to the local track vendor at the race and, hey, I need tear-offs or I need a lens. If you're with 100%, it's, that's all the same. Pick your color of lens and do you want laminate tear-offs or, or standard? Um, whereas with our competitors, you know, you got to know which frame you have and which year that came out because there might have been a slight revision. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a very simple process, very simple idea that kind of went a real, really long ways with uh, consumers and with dealers, for sure. Absolutely. Keeping it simple. I, I know uh, looking back, uh, trying to uh, locate 
specific brand, specific model of tear-offs is just an absolute nightmare. Yeah. But uh, if you just kind of extrapolate over the last few years, um, if someone has a, a spare few set, uh, tear-offs uh, for 100% goggles, they're going to fit on yours and, uh, and you can, you can uh, clear your vision uh, effectively. And that's actually one of the things that I wanted to talk about, well, maybe we'll talk about a little bit later, is how effective uh, the, the tear-offs are uh, I don't know if, if if this is the right way to do it, Charles. But I put a seven stack on my on my goggles at the beginning of June, and I don't ride really that frequently. And I usually just ride practice days where there's not a lot of guys around. And I rode ten times with seven tear offs. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. <laughs> I don't typically do that move, and I can promise you, you know, a guy like. Marvin, this can isn't doing that. No, he's, he's ripping um, yeah, half yeah, of those off important. on the line. <laughs> yeah, um, but I can. I'm guilty of it too. You know, like I, the rare event that I don't use laminates um, ever really when I'm practicing. Okay. More or less, cause I know how much they cost, and I don't want to waste the money. Right. Um, but more from the side of like if I if I do a race for whatever reason, I'll put seven or fourteen on. I'll definitely use those. You know, if I don't use them all, I'll use those goggles two or three, four more times in practice days until I burn through all of them. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I'm (laughs) totally guilty of that. uh, All they had was laminates for me, so uh, I had to kind of get a little bit inventive, but so that that was my solution to it. But um, the Akiri to me is, uh, like like I said earlier, the amount of colorways you guys supply is – a moto kid's dream as far as like if you're a, if you're a kid that uh has some some, some deep pockets or some parents with some deep pockets that you got like five six seven pairs of gear uh and you want to you want to like just like be the talk of the town as whether it be like just the different colors that you can go with like it's and and the fact that you you can grab a goggle that's different from anybody else's on the line like you, with how many options they have i think it's got to be almost 30 different colorways just in the Akuri alone that's pretty cool to me like the fact that like you're not looking down the line and just seeing like red red blue green like you know what i mean like it's, it's a ton of different combinations yeah. that's cool to me yeah yeah we have the, the kind of basic line plan for the Akuri is there's eight new colorways that come out every fall I like um, and they're available with clear and mirror and then there's four new and fresh new ones uh every spring uh, and then there's four in the line that are kind of the basic colors that actually there's five now, really. Okay. That stay kind of consistently always in the line because they're the, the bread and butter colors that everybody needs. But you can count on there being eight new in the fall and four new in the spring every year. Um, so compound that over the last six years and kind of there's your numbers on how many, how are you saying there's a ton in the market, a ton available. For sure. So what's your flavor? Like what what do you like to match with as far as color goes are you just like a plain like are you like just black goggles what what's what's your kind of uh uh how do you approach that whole scenario because some guys match it with the boots some guys match it with the goggles yep. or the, the the gloves some people just match it with the helmet period what what, what are you thinking i uh i match with the gloves okay so, yeah same here and we you know we, we make gloves at 100 percent, and they're actually you know taking off Damn really good. really well in the last couple of years um so yeah that's something that kind of gets overlooked is we have a lot of colorways that we design goggles and then make a glove that goes with it or vice versa. And, um, yeah, so that's my typical move is, is matching kind of helmet gear boots all together and then goggles and gloves separate. 
Fair enough. Goggles, gloves, and and uh, before I guess uh, we'll get to the gloves after we talk about the racecraft. But I guess that's uh, the the next as we're climbing the uh, the rungs of up the uh, the echelons of the goggles is the the next thing is is your the the racecraft goggle. You'll see a lot of your your high end pros wearing it, whether it be uh, R J Hampshire, who I talked to earlier uh, this last weekend when he was competing in Montreal. He had nothing but good things to say about them. Uh, and uh, but like yeah, like you guys have a ton of athletes, and a lot of them find themselves in this goggle. Um, like why would someone why does someone uh like jump that next step into the racecraft um i i know it's obviously got the, the outriggers on it and also comes with uh a pretty impressive looking nose guard personally not a nose guard guy i'm actually surprised how many people yep. continue to rock them um but uh just out of i don't know I like i think for me it's like half a fashion thing and half i just i i like I, i've never really noticed my nose getting hit too much maybe i don't ride at unadilla enough but uh, like what, what, what's, what are the main reasons why someone goes to the racecraft? Yeah. And, and so I'm a personally not a, a nose guard guy either, but there's a surprisingly a lot of people that that's a big selling feature for them is that it includes that removable nose guard and they can throw it on after racing, you know, whatever in the woods and they fear that they're going to get hit by a rock or something or a tree limb. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also you mentioned the outriggers. That's another key difference between the racecraft and the Akuri and Strata, which the outriggers basically just where the strap attaches to the goggle instead of attaching to the frame on each side, kind of the traditional way of mounting. There's, you know, the outrigger, um, the outriggers on each side that offset the strap out a little bit, kind of balances it around your helmet a little bit better. But to answer your question, it's completely a personal preference thing, kind of how your helmet, different helmets and different faces and different head shapes all kind of interact differently with, with goggles. So, um, I would definitely encourage you to try on the goggle with your helmet, um, and kind of find the one that that works best for you because it might not be our highest end one. It might not be our entry level one. It, it, you know, who knows? It's going to, everybody's a little bit different and don't just assume that, you know, because like you said, RJ Hampshire is wearing the racecraft that's the best for you because I mean, for instance, um, you know, Marvin Muskin only wears the Akuri goggle and he's as you know the, the highest end of the high end of elite racers uh, in the world and he prefers our mid-level goggle that um, you know isn't the, the highest price thing that we make so well, there you go. He is the fastest man from France on the planet, uh, and we won't get too far into that. We'll just mention it <laughs> and continue on. Um, but yeah, yeah. The, the the goggles to me is yeah they get married with the helmet because if you have a, say like a uh, a really large shelled helmet like uh, in in the past uh, the fly helmet was a really large shell um, and it, it, like the goggles wouldn't fit into it perfectly and I don't know the sixty was the same idea is a lot more bulbous around the eye port and uh, that created some issues when trying to make fitment um, for goggles and those outriggers when the it was uh, another brand came out with outriggers years ago it was like a uh, it was actually originally the first time I ever saw it was in snowboarding but then as, as soon as it came out in motocross it was like game changer and uh, pe- people assumed that if it had outriggers it's obviously a much better goggle which of course your top goggle does have that but uh, um yeah, like in my like at a very affordable price between the Akiri and the 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 racecraft, like you're kind of splitting hairs as far as what you want, and uh, like you said, it more or less comes down to fitment. 
Right. Yeah. And that's, I think a mistake that is commonly made is you know, not just because it costs more doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing for you. And, you know, I, I personally, I, I can go back and forth between the racecraft and the curry and I wear either one, depending on what matches because my serious racing days are done. Yeah. Um, more there to look cool, but look um, pro go slow, bro. Yeah, told, yeah, there you go. But <laughs> totally. I mean, it's, it for real, you should, you should try them all on and figure out what fits the best for you or, um, and then pick the colors and stuff that you want from there because um, don't just assume or if you, you know, try to whatever in a curry and you put it on and you thought, well, maybe I wish it would sit like this against my head more, or do this differently, try the racecraft because they are different for that reason. So we can kind of accommodate all different riders, not just kind of pigeonhole ourselves into one, one, one style. Absolutely. And like I said earlier, uh, if, if regardless of which one you choose, you can carry that those different lenses and stuff like that. Like say you, uh, you're a clear lens guy or you have a, a blue lens, you can sw- uh, switch those around and uh, and really kind of make it your own with uh, the different goggles that they offer So or you guys offer. So that that's pretty cool to me is that you guys uh, offer just so many options for people to enjoy the goggle and uh, quite stylish, I might add, as well. Yeah, and it, it just helps. You know, when you're loading your gear bag, you don't have to pay attention to uh, which which goggles that I grab. Do I have the right tear off to go with it, or the you know, smoke lens, and so it's going to get really sunny later, or film system if it's going to rain. Um, you don't have to make sure you got the right piece to go with the goggle that you grab because it's all the same. So, for sure. Now, now before we get to the gloves. Um, let's talk about that forecast system. We're looking at some serious rain coming in this weekend. I'll most likely be getting my throttle therapy tomorrow when it's raining, uh, cats and dogs. Um, and I, I do have the forecast system, uh, installed on one pair of goggles that I own. Uh, what are some of the ins and outs of that pro uh, that, uh, that system? Um, obviously it, it's for, it's mostly like for mud and, and like that sort of thing. But like, where do you find, uh, most people are gravitating to that system and, uh, what's the kind of the, the learning curve to pulling the string rather than ripping uh, a single tear off and hopefully not the entire stack. Right. Which that's a, that's a difficult, difficult thing to do. Oh. Um, pull, pull one tear off at yes. a time for some people, but seriously, like, um, side yeah, note, but- total side note. There was a kid or there was a, a, a pair of kids that locally, their dad would have, have them practice grabbing single tear-offs during practice and they would like take one hand off, grab it and let go so that they would learn how to do that. Totally wild. Yeah, I, um, I, I did that at some points in my, my career. I would practice pulling tear-offs. If I had an issue over the weekend, I would you know, blur through some during the week or even just fake it and reach up and act like I'm grabbing one just to try and work on that but anyway on the anyway. the film system side you can't you know you're pulling a string you, you can there's only one string to pull so <laughs> it's a little bit more, more simple that way um and to answer your question you know primarily it's for mud that's the the, the main purpose of it is to to give you good vision when it's raining and obviously the the field of vision starts off smaller because you're looking through a strip versus the whole tear off but our forecast system, it's a 45 millimeter film system. Um, so it's, it's a really big field of vision in, in the world of um, film systems. Um, and then another cool detail that we started that I think some others have kind of caught on is the, the mud flop that goes up above to keep water from getting behind the, the film. Ours is clear where kind of the traditional way of doing that was 
make it black and put your logo on it um, just yes. for more branding. But when you start the race before you even get roosted, you're already eliminating you know, whatever a third of your vision on the top of your vision because it's a blacked out um, mud flap. For ours, it starts clear, so um, you can see totally out of it until you know you get get splashed with mud. But um, on the other side of things, I said primarily it was for mud, but there are countries and uh, riding facilities or um, you know, government property that they let people ride on that tear off or are against the law or, or outlawed by that, you know, those different governing That's bodies. True. So um, that is a kind of a focus of ours is making a really good film system that you can see out of really well, even if it isn't, you know, really adverse conditions, um, kind of forward thinking that, you know, maybe one day they were going to be that, that trend will continue to grow on places that they're outlawed or, or not, you know, you're not allowed to use tear off. So never do I want to live in a, in a, in an area where, uh, I can't see, uh, sheets of clear plastic attached with mud fluttering to the ground, uh, on one of the bigger jumps on the track. That uh, sounds terrible to me, but I totally understand it. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, like I've personally, I've, I've used the, the, forecast system uh maybe a handful of times uh i like like it might be a, a slightly smaller field of vision but i've also been amazed with how like how how i've finished certain motos with almost like the amount of mud on the goggles you look at it and you're like how was i seeing anything out there so um i think that it's a good system to go with especially when it's muddy outside when you can get that really clear uh strip all right, across, and uh, I, I would suggest people go with it. At least have it available to use if you happen to have a mud race, because uh, um, mud races are bad enough as it is. If you if you can't see, it's even worse. Right, exactly. I think that's a, a minor investment to put in your gear bag for you know when it happens, because it's going to at some point. Yes, um, you need to be be prepared and, and have it ready. Fair enough. So, are are you are you you're obviously located on the on the. Uh, the West Coast. How often do you yep. come across a, just an epic mutter in Southern California? Uh, once every ten years. <laughs> I don't okay, know. I, it's pretty. You man, have to travel pretty, for it. Uh, pretty try here. Yeah, you got to travel for it. But having said that, I think um, last year, you know, day in the dirt, one of those those races in the winter. It rains here during the winter, and okay. you know we've seen a, a random Anaheim. Supercross where it was muddy or San Diego, even last year, or the year before it rained kind of leading up to it. And the Supercross crew is so the track crew is so skilled at keeping things dry and yeah, turning tracks great. into very good conditions when, when it's been raining for seven days, if they get a window of eight, eight hours, it's dry. You know, they'll make a good track, but to answer your question, it doesn't rain a ton out here. Um, but, but in the winter we'll get, we'll get some, a few times. Oh, I'm, I'm a fair weather rider these days, though. So. Oh, you and me both, man. I was down in SoCal, <laughs> not this, well, I was there this January, but also the January prior to, and I couldn't believe how much rain you guys got. That, that, honestly, that month was the reason why you guys had so many, uh, like wildfires is because everything grew and then it dried and burnt up. Um, but it was exactly. pretty wild. Yep. You guys, like, almost, I think out of the, five races we had only one of the races was able to do uh the actual like the um the press day riding like it was like i, I was standing uh at the dunlop trailer with uh up to my ankles in in water i'm like i'm in socal right now this is ridiculous um 
Yeah, you're right. There was it was quite a bit of rain. It just didn't get um yeah, it just didn't translate into many mud races, luckily. No, they had that thing sealed. But uh um leaving the goggle segment, you guys make some unbelievable gloves. And myself, I'm boring. I go with red gloves every single time I ride. I've done so for about 10 years now. I don't know why I do it. I just Dean, know. It's the Dean Wilson way. Pretty much. I think that that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, Dean, Dean, runs, Dean runs red gloves all the time. Yeah. Every time, no matter what. Yeah. Orange gear, blue gear, red gloves. Uh, I don't know why okay. I've always done it. Um, and uh, ever since I was about 10 or so, and I love them. You guys make plenty of really nice red gloves. You make a ton of other nice gloves as well. Um, but kind of if you could walk me through the uh, the different uh, uh, different lines that you guys have, whether it be the uh, Cognito or the uh, the iTrack. Right. Yeah, we, we have, I don't even know off the top of my head, the total number of glove chassis, but... Um, they were all completely revamped for uh, 2019 actually. So we're only a few weeks into the launch of the new, new gloves and it's had a really good reception so far. Um, got a really good product developer that um, kind of took the, the previous glove line and refined it and made some adjustments to fit and materials and kind of um, manufacturing processes. And we have a really, really good, good line of gloves right now. So um across the uh, there was probably seven or eight different glove chassis and they all serve a purpose it's not just different different graphics and different colors although there are tons of different options um on that side of things but they all kind of have a very strategic different consumer or riding condition and uh, in mind when they were made so you mentioned the cognito glove which is a new one for us and it has d3o knuckle protection um and it has, but it doesn't have a whole lot of padding in the palm. It's, it's kind of like a bridging that gap between the really highly protective off-road specific glove and then the very minimalistic uh, moto specific glove. So it's kind of this middle ground that you can wear riding moto or riding in the, the woods and it offers some pretty good protection, but isn't very, isn't restrictive. So um, on the contrary to that, the Celium 2 is the most minimalistic, stretchy, thinnest, vented glove you're going to find on the market hands down so if you're looking for something like that um like i said it's there's it's a single layer palm that's vented and then uh it's got this really really thin you can almost see through it if i'm being honest Mm -hmm. um material on the top hand that um, has zero restriction it feels like you're wearing no gloves basically and then you know we have a few different others that are kind of more traditional but they all are different again the eye track is a slip-on single-layer palm and kind of a, a traditional single-layer top hand ride fit is the the version very similar to iTrack, but it has a Velcro closure because again it's a it's a personal preference thing. So um, you can bounce between those two, and the fit and the function is the same, but iTrack is slip-on ride fit Velcro closure, okay. and then Aromatic is a little bit more of the the all-around glove. So it's Velcro closure, but has two layer palm so maybe if you you don't get out to ride as much as you'd like and you need a little extra protection or you know you're riding in the desert or in the woods for a long time um you know it's going to be a long day and you need that extra extra layer of, of padding uh, the aromatics color for you and then we have the brisker which is our to be honest our most popular glove we make and it's a cold weather glove that um you know here in southern california is very very seasonal so um but the rest of the 
country and the rest of the world. Um, you know, there's, there's tons of cold weather riding and the brisker is taken off like crazy. We sell out every single year, um, mm. because it's a, at a really good price point at, in the U S it's 29.50 retail. Um, but it's, it's the concept with it was to make a cold weather glove that, you know, offers some shield to the wind. So it's like a neoprene outer layer. Um, but then it has, um, fleece lining inside. So it keeps you a little bit, have a little bit of warmth to it, but then the palm uh, is, you know, a standard single layer palm, just like the ride fit or eye track. So basically where you're contacting the handlebars and it feels like a, a normal moto glove, but then the top hand is, like I said, neoprene and fleece. So you get a little, little warmth. It's, I, w- I would say it's not ready to go snowmobiling up in Canada, you know? <laughs> but, uh, if it's, you know, a cool spring or fall morning and it's, you know, 25, 30 degrees and you're out riding moto, it's perfect glove for that. I mean, it, it gives you that little bit of warmth protection, um, but doesn't restrict you from riding like some, you know, when the development started on that, we ordered in everybody's cold weather gloves and it was like, man, all of these are so overbuilt and you can't feel your handlebars and can't make a fist and they're so big and bulky. And because of that, all the prices are super, super high. And we thought, you know, let's, let's kind of bridge this gap and fill that void in between when it's, you know, 40 degrees on one day, or it's not negative 30 the next day, right? We want to kind of fill that void between and have a good all around glove that you can ride in when it's 20 degrees or, you know, 40 degrees and not have a whole lot of, not be compromised too much in your fit. And then we have a hydromatic line, which is a waterproof line. So there's a couple options there that are specifically made for, you know, obviously when it's raining or, um, the hydromatic briskers for when it's raining and cold. So, I mean, we have, you know, I know I, I dug through a lot there, but <laughs> yeah, however many it was, seven or eight different styles, but they all for real have a very specific style of rider or discipline of riding that they're kind of made made specifically for. So we kind of purpose built them to, to accommodate everyone. A, gl- a glove for every day of the week, at least. Um, and and uh, I assume that that uh, brisker is, is pretty uh, a hot seller up here in Canada, where uh, we get um, we get low twenties uh, in the morning, and uh, it'll it'll be in the mid plus thirties, which is right around uh, I guess about eighty degrees um, Fahrenheit, and then uh, then later on in the fall, same idea. Uh, cold in the mornings, hot all day, and then cold in the evenings. So I'm thinking the brisker probably gets a lot of traction out here. The one thing I wanted to talk about uh, was the uh, like the, the the closure system. I myself have yet to find a goggle or a, glo- a goggle a glove that uh, I actually feel comfortable in with that uh, closure system. Not having the 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 the, uh, the velcro, like I always feel like it's way too tight across the the, the mid portion of my hand so that it can actually tighten around the wrist? Like, where, how do you guys uh, kind of tackle that? And, and maybe do I need to get myself a pair to, uh, to figure that out? Yeah, it, it's tough. That's a, it's a fine line between, you know, having it feel secure on your wrist um, and being too tight to, to fit around your, your knuckles as you're putting it on. So um, I think there are some interesting sewing um, kind of methods to, to different types of seams that allow for some give and some stretch um, that we do. And, and, you know, more or less it's testing. It's add a millimeter here, take away a millimeter there and kind of 
try them on back to back and go ride with them and, and see um, what the differences are. And, you know, it's, that's the, the ultimate way to, to figure it out, right. Is to, to try it and no, no other way that to, to make the best product out there than, than, you know, try every option you can and, and kind of nail settle in the middle and what, what worked the best for the, the wide group. Because what we do find with gloves is everybody wants is looking for something a little different. Um, so anytime we do any glove revisions, you know, those the development team here has a chart of what size everybody is based on your hand measurements and they'll come around and, you know, Hey, this is a new large. So they'll hit every desk, whether you work in sales or marketing or accounting or whatever you're trying on the new large glove to give your, your feedback on the, the fitment of it. So, Hmm. Um, it's pretty funny when a new sample comes in and they come through the office and all right, well, you're a medium. So you need to try this one on you're a large, you try this one on. And, um, just to get kind of a baseline before it even gets to the track with, you know, some of our test guys. Absolutely. You guys have some awesome products and some awesome people down at the headquarters, including, uh, one Andy Backen, who I believe has been with you guys yep. for about a year and a bit now. Um, uh, what, what's it been yep. like, uh, seeing that guy around, uh, the office? Uh, and uh, I gotta say, uh, if you've ever met Andy, uh, out at the track or at a ride day, uh, seems like the last kind of guy you'd see, uh, um, at a desk job by any means. So, uh, <laughs> like, uh, how did that all come together? Yeah, uh, Andy's been probably a year and a half, maybe even close to two years now. But yeah, he's handling uh, you know events and, and rider support stuff. So um, taking more and more on for the amateur side of things. Um, so so John Cuzo can focus more on the professional stuff. Yeah, um, and then also he he jumps in and fills in on the pro stuff too because I mean he's a super accomplished rider and still you know rides a whole lot and very well tuned in. So, um, we kind of have that backup plan when Kuzo goes to a, um, an MXGP or has something yeah. going on, Andy can step right in and, um, all the riders at the pro level are comfortable with them and, and he can be there cause he, he you know, knows what they need and what they expect. And, um, on the amateur side of things, you know, he, he was once a kid coming up to Loretta's and going to all those big races. So he knows exactly what it's like to be there. And, um, kind of is definitely a huge asset to our team. And, you know, he, he, you know, I think you say, you mentioned you wouldn't expect to see him at a desk, but man, he does, does a really good job. He's there every day at the right time and doing his deal and you know, very professional. And, um, you know, like I said, a, a big asset to our team. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to see that you guys are pleasantly surprised with Andy, and I think that my listeners will be pleasantly surprised if they head over to ride100%100%.com. Go to the moto side of things. If you can go to the mountain bike cycling or other products too, but uh, go to the motocross side of things. Uh, go through all the goggles, drool over those, wipe off your keyboard, and then start shopping uh, because uh, I absolutely love this brand. And uh, Charles, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. You are the second of two cast loos I've had on the show this year. You could probably guess who the other one was. Um, but uh, this oh, has wow. been a really fun for me to have you on, my friend. I really appreciate you giving me the time. Yeah, man, no worries. It was, uh, it was a good time. and I'd, Let's do it again. Absolutely. No, let's make that a more regular thing. Um, before I let you go, uh, what is your hot setup? If you're going to the track today, uh, what uh, what are you wearing as far as the goggle? What are you wearing as far as the glove? I'm going with a ride fit glove 
Um, color is going to depend on what I, what goggles, but probably that there's a black ride fit that's all black and it has like these, this design on it. It's like a gel silicone that's like shiny just on the design okay. based on a kind of all black glove that looks pretty damn cool. You're probably even hard to tell in catalogs and on the website, but you see it, you'll know which one it is. And then goggles, I'll probably go the new Racecraft Plus, which we actually didn't talk much about, but um, there's a colorway called Toro that's this red and black that, man, it looks, looks pretty bitching together. Oh, well, there it is. Go check that out at uh, ride100percent.com. Charles Castlew here on the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by FMF. This has been a pleasure of mine. We're going to do this again, and uh, hopefully it was just as much fun for you as it was for me. I appreciate you making the time, my friend. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, man. Have a good one.